And we begin at verse number 4, Matthew 24 and 4. Jesus had a lot to tell us about being prepared and preparation and making ready. Um, Jesus was um, very big on uh, telling us about things before they happened. Think about that for a moment. Um, Let me just give you one example. Before he ever went to the cross, was crucified and died, he told his disciples it was going to happen. He told them to not let their heart be troubled, that he would be killed, but that he would be raised from the dead uh, three days later. Um, he, He told them all of that so that they would be prepared for it, know what to expect, and know how to handle it and deal with it when it all happened. And so there's, I mean, for that matter, if you go back into the Old Testament, I mean, Father God, through the prophets, is telling us that there's coming a day when the Messiah is going to come to the earth. I mean, before Jesus ever got here, Father God's telling us that Jesus is going to come one day, again, so that we can expect it, so that we won't be taken, you know, by surprise, so that we won't be caught off guard. We know what's going to happen. We can expect it. We can be prepared for it. And so when it happens, we can get the maximum benefit from it and, and, and be successful, uh, you know, through all of this, okay? I never was a uh, a Boy Scout, a Cub Scout. Closest I came was Matt was a, a Cub Scout, and I don't know what the, the deal was, but they had to do costumes, and 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 he was a lion, and Dwight Rainey uh, was the back end of the lion, and Matt was the head of the lion. It was a two-piece costume, and Dwight Rainey got sick. I think he just didn't want to be the butt of Matt's. I mean, the backside of Matt's lion. And so I got called out at the last minute uh, to be the backside of the, of the lion costume. That's the closest I came to being a Cub Scout. Amen. But I understand their motto is be prepared. Be prepared. Amen. And, and in so many ways, you, you could make that a, a, you know, a central theme of what Jesus uh, told us and who God is. Be prepared. Be prepared for life. Be prepared for things before they transpire. Know what to expect so that it doesn't take you off guard. And when it happens, you know, you're ready for it. And so in Matthew, the 24th chapter, the disciples are asking him, hey, listen, how will we know when the end of this age is, is close? In other words, when things, you know, make a major change, how, what will be happening so that we will know what to expect? And this is what Jesus tells us, beginning in verse number four. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. All right, so 
we've been on this subject for a few weeks now. I'm not going to try to review uh, all the things that we've talked about up until this point. But there are some key things that I want to remind us of. First of all, Jesus told us, take heed that no one deceives you. So in the middle of him telling us what to expect when the end of this age is drawing to a close, he, he encourages us, he admonishes us to not be deceived. Because obviously, and he explains this later down in the passage, that many people are going to be deceived. Meaning what? Many people are going to believe things to be true that are not the truth. Many people are going to believe things that they're told uh, that, that are true, but they're not going to be true. And, and this is going to lead to a lot of misery for a lot of people. He also told me and you, see that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. And I know that it's not a popular sermon subject in our world today, but the Bible told us early and often that we are responsible for guarding our own heart and that we are not to allow things into our heart that would cause us to be troubled, that would cause us to be anxious, that would cause us to be depressed, that would cause us to be uh, even violently angry or, or angry in a way that would not be pleasing to God. So he says, above all else, guard your heart in Proverbs 4. And then he says uh, in John, let not your heart be troubled. So here again he says, see that you are not troubled. He then says these things must come to pass. These things must come to pass. We're going to focus in on that part of this, I believe, this morning. Uh, but again, he said these things must come to pass. How many of you know if God says something must happen, it must happen? If, if he says it must come to pass, then there's no, there's no avoiding it. There's, there's no praying it away. There's, there's no believing it away. There's no denying it away. If he says it must come to pass, then it must come to pass. Now, Every time I tell you that, I remind you that just because it's coming to pass in the world doesn't mean it has to come to pass in your life. Just because these things are happening to people who don't know God, that doesn't mean uh, it, it's going to happen to you. Uh, but Because remember, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Then the last thing that I want to just remind you of, he said, these things are the beginning of sorrows. And, and what he's talking about here, the beginning of sorrows, is literally referring to birth pains. Amen. He's talking about um, a, a, a woman who's in labor and that the wars and the rumors of wars and the earthquakes and, the, and nation rising against nation. By the way, that word nation there literally means um, uh, ethnic group or race. So it's not just one country rising against another country, but it's, it's different races of people rising against one another. Are we seeing that, uh, you know, that kind of unrest in our, in our nation even today? And, and yes, we are. All right, so when he says these things are the beginning of sorrows, he's saying that we're to understand these things when we see them happen as, as being a, a woman uh, in labor, and each time we see these things happen, it's like a contraction. And what we know about contractions is that as, as we get closer and closer to the baby being born, the contractions come more frequently and with greater intensity. Okay? Now, we say, and I think this is a really important answer for us because there's always been war and there's always been racial division and, the, and there's always been... Uh, epidemics and pandemics and, and, and things of that nature. Um, 
But again, what he's saying is that the things that are already taking place on planet Earth will continue to increase, again, in frequency and intensity. Now, um, the one thing, and I, I, I'm so excited to get to what I really want to talk to you about tonight, but let me, let me just continue this, this review, okay? Last week we said the Antichrist may not be on the scene yet, but the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. This is what the Word of God tells us, all right? So in the same way, there is a difference between the Great Tribulation as an event spoken of by Jesus and in the book of Revelation um, and just the tribulation or elements of it that are taking place. Jesus said, in this world, um, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let me give you one more passage. Amen. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So, when we talk about end time events, when we talk about what must happen and what must take place in this world around us, we have to remember that none of that is greater than the covenant that we have with God and none of that supersedes or overrides it. Come on now, are you with me this morning? All these things that must happen, it doesn't change the fact that God is love. Amen. And any... Uh, any uh, interpretation of end time events that fails to factor in God is love and the grace of God, amen, I refuse to accept, amen. So God is a, is a loving God and we cannot make the mistake of studying about these things without continually reminding ourselves that the Lord delivers us out of them all without constantly reminding ourselves that we are going to face tribulation in this world. But Jesus told us to not fret about it, not be depressed about it, not be in panic or fear or terror about it, but to actually be of good cheer because he has overcome the world, amen, that the tribulation is taking place in. Amen. So we have tribulation, and tribulation will one day turn into great tribulation. What is the difference between the tribulation that we're experiencing now and the great tribulation that the Bible says is to come? The only difference is the frequency and the intensity of the birth pangs that are producing it. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't want to offend you by this, and I hate to just throw a statement out like this without telling you why I believe this, but studying it out in Scripture, I believe the rapture of the church will take place before the Great Tribulation. I believe that we will be out of here by the time all that happens, but there, there is tribulation that is already present in the earth, trouble that is already present in the earth all around us, amen, um, that we as sons and daughters of God, amen, are able to rise above and overcome. As a matter of fact, in First uh, John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You are of God, little children. You have overcome, not will, but have overcome. Why? Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world against you. So everything that's going on in the world around you, amen? You have the one on the inside of you, capital T, capital O, the one, the living Christ on the inside of you who is greater, who has overcome not just this world, but every devil in hell, he's defeated them. He, he, he has thoroughly stripped them and embarrassed them publicly, openly. He has done this and he has given that victory and that authority over those devils and demons to you and to me. Amen. 
So we study these things not in fear, not in panic, not out of morbid curiosity. But again, back to where we started this morning. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And some of the latest contractions, some of the latest birth pangs that this world is experiencing right now are revealing areas within the body of Christ, areas and problems and issues within the body of Christ that we need to pay attention to, that we, that we need to recognize um, and, and, and understand. Amen. It's exposing some areas that we need to work on. And that's not a bad thing if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to help us. Now, there is, um, there's a couple of things here that I want to try to focus on in the time we have remaining. And first of all, Jesus said that in verse number 6, Matthew uh, chapter 24 and verse number 6. If you've still got your Bibles open there, let me just pull it back up on the screen. Oh, I did it wrong. I'm sorry. Let's go back. Praise God. Where did I put that? Here we go. Right here is what I'm looking for. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks when we've been breaking this passage down and talking about it, you'll know that that one phrase these things must come to pass, has been a phrase that the Holy Spirit has really been emphasizing to us. And I believe emphasizing it to us began with him emphasizing it to me as he was speaking to me about these things. And as I, as I was looking at this, these things must come to pass, it's, it's just natural for me to say something to this effect um, you know, Father, I believe you and I trust you and I know that you're right, but, but why? Right? Why does it have to be this way? Why, why must these things come to pass? And each time that I would ask him that question, a very obscure and unique passage from the Old Testament would pop up in my spirit. And we're going to turn there in just a moment. And it, it, it took me a few minutes to realize that he's answering my question by bringing that passage up. In other words, that there's a very important connection there that he wants us to understand. Okay? And that very unique passage is in the book of Genesis, and the phrase in that passage says this, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. Now, let's, I tell you what, I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but let's go ahead while we're here. And let's turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis the 15th chapter. I'll go ahead and show you that. So just to make sure we're all on the same page. 
Jesus says these things must come to pass. The wars, the rumors of wars, nations rising against nation, the earthquakes, the pestilences. Pestilences, by the way, if you don't know what that means, COVID-19 is a pestilence. COVID-19 is, a, is an epidemic. COVID-19 is a pandemic. Okay? All right? So, again, he's saying these things must come to pass. And I'm like, Father, why must they come to pass? And so I, I, would, I would ask him that question, and he, and and what would come up in my spirit is the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. And I'm like, okay, I know that I've been thinking about what that verse means, but I'm not talking to you about that right now. I'm talking to you about, in other words, it, it took me a minute or two to realize that he's answering the question. All right, so let's go to this, again, rather obscure verse, Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 12. It says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, and if you're not familiar with who Abram is, this is Abraham of the Old Testament before Father God changed his name. He said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Who, who are, who's they? They are the descendants of Abraham, also known as the Jewish people, also known as Israel. Okay? Where do they go for 400 years? They went to Egypt. And God brought judgment against Egypt. And we know that the people left Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. So all of this that God is showing Abraham 400 years before it happened. I mean, how long do you need to get prepared for something, right? He's telling him these things 400 years Really longer than that, but let's just round it up, round it off to 400 years. 400 years before it's happening, he's explaining it to Abraham. Because remember, he told Abraham, everywhere the sole of your foot treads is yours. So I'm sure Abraham is expecting that to happen like in the next few days or the next few minutes. And Father God, in this moment, uh, he speaks to him and he tells him, listen, this is, this is going to take a little while, Okay. But this is how all of this is going to unfold. And you will be with me. You'll go to your fathers in peace. In other words, Abraham is not going to experience it physically, but he will witness it from heaven when it all unfolds. And and when all of his descendants, as great as the stars in the sky and as as the grains of sand upon the beach, right? They will be given that land. God says, this land, I will give it to them. And they will come into it and they will possess it. Okay? Now, watch this. So in the fourth generation, so this is 400 years later, they shall return right here to this place. And then we have this phrase, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Who are the Amorites? The Amorites are the people who currently live 
in, in this promised land. The Amorites are, are the people who are currently inhabiting the land that Father God says is ultimately going to be given to Abraham's descendants, uh, also known as Israel. Are you with me? Now, you think, okay, so if God is going to give it to them, why don't he just give it to them now? I mean, why the whole 400 years in Egypt? I mean, if this is how it's all going to play out, then let's just cut to the chase, get it over with, and, 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 and let them have it, right? Well, the answer that God gives to the question that I'm sure was in Abraham's heart, but was not verbalized, right? In other words, it's like, God, what's up with this? Why, why you know, this long way around... To what you clearly want to happen. And the answer that he gives, come on, stay with me now. The answer that God gives is simple, at least <laughs> the way God says it. It's like, oh, don't you know anything? The Amorites' iniquity is not yet fulfilled. Okay? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, this tells us very little, but at the same time, it tells us a whole bunch, okay? In other words, what can we conclude from this? First of all, we can conclude that God is a merciful God. We can conclude that, that, that God is very patient. He is very long-suffering. That He is not quick to anger, but the Bible says of God that He is slow to anger. And we see that the, the iniquity, what is iniquity? For those of you who don't know, iniquity is willful sin. It, it is, um, you know, obviously the Bible teaches us that sin is sin. Okay? But, um, for instance, there is a category of sin that the Bible refers to as a trespass. A trespass. If you shoot a deer on your property and track it to someone else's property by mistake, they may catch you on their property and ask you why you're hunting on their property, but you you were trespassing, but you didn't know that you were. That's on one end of the severity of sin. That will be on the low side of, of, of severe sin. On the, on the opposite end of the spectrum would be this thing called an iniquity. And iniquity, let's say it this way, is, is the worst kind of sin. It's, it's the grossest kind of sin. Okay? And so he's saying that the gross iniquity, the horrible sin of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. In other words, God is saying that there is a line and the Amorites have not crossed it yet. And until the Amorites cross that line, Right? They're going to be allowed to stay in this land. But there's coming a day when they're going to cross the line and they will no longer be allowed to inhabit this land. And that's when I will bring your descendants, my chosen people, uh, Israel, out of Egypt so that they can then come and occupy this land. Now, in case you're not aware of it, and I'm sure those of you who pay attention to current events, you know that there is, uh, you know, tremendous uh, 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 conflict to this very day over that land. I heard a man the other day who was talking about this. He's a very popular podcaster, and he is of Jewish descent. And, and he said that... Um, out of ignorance, 
he was unaware that the Jewish people took land that was already occupied. In other words, he felt like his kinfolk were being persecuted because they just found some vacant land, kind of like, you know, when we were pioneering this country and, and people would go out to the middle of the prairie and stake a claim and, and, and call that their land and, and, and they would, you know, settle it and, and, and what have you. And so he was of this impression that the Jews just found some vacant land, decided to occupy it, and now everybody's trying to take it away from them. And so he's now taken the side of people who uh, think the Jews are wrong, okay? <laughs> but somebody needs to read their Bible. Certainly the land was occupied, but God said that that land belonged to the Jewish people now. Come on, God said it. Who has a right besides God to say it? Amen. God said it. But even in God saying it, He showed tremendous patience. He showed tremendous long-suffering to the... Matter of fact, He waited for them to get their stuff in order for 400 years before the iniquity of the Amorites was fulfilled. In other words, until their sin piled so high that a change was called for. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. Now remember, I wanna, we're, gonna, we're going to another verse here in just a moment. But I want to remind you that the, the parallel that I believe the Holy Spirit, the connection the Holy Spirit is wanting us to make this morning, is that in the same, in the same way, the land there that the Amorites lived upon, that there was a line that they finally crossed and it was over. Are you hearing me? Are we to think that there's not the same kind of line drawn for other nations? Are you seeing me? Are you feeling me? Are you hearing me this morning? In other words, there's a line drawn for the United States of America. I'm not saying we haven't crossed, that we've crossed it yet. Matter of fact, I guarantee you we have not. Let me, let me say it another way. I believe that when this nation crosses that line, that's, that's when it's, that's when it's all coming off the hinges, right? I mean, that's, that's when, it, if your name is Katie, don't know offense. That's when it's Katie bar the door, right? Come on, sister. You feel me, don't you? All right. Now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus, please. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. Thank you for hanging in here with me this morning. Thank you for being engaged in what we're talking about. For those of you who have been around Heritage for a while, you know that this is not my normal vein of preaching and teaching, um, but it's the one that I believe the Holy Spirit is breathing on right now for us, and for a lot of reasons, but one is for us to understand what's going on. Ignorance breeds fear. When you don't know what's going on, when you don't know what to expect, um, now all of a sudden you become very afraid, you, you, you run and hide, you back down. Um, Father doesn't want that for us. Amen. He wants us to understand what's going on. He wants us to understand that he's a loving and just God. He wants us to understand, amen, that, um, that there's, there is coming a day of judgment upon this earth. Um, when this earth was judged in the days of Noah by the great flood. Come on now. 
The Bible says this of humanity, that every thought in every heart was only evil continually. In other words, all of humanity had crossed that line. And judgment came. And then Father put the rainbow in the sky. It's a covenant. But the covenant was not that this earth wouldn't be judged again, but that it would not be judged again by a great flood. Okay? Yeah? Okay. Now, this brings me and you to a very important question. What exactly was the iniquity of the Amorites? In in other words, what did they do that was so bad that eventually they couldn't even live in their homeland anymore? Well, I know that we've got young years in here this morning. And I'm going to ask you, please, I know when I say this, your curiosity, if it's anything like mine, is going to, you're going to want to do this, okay? But he basically, in the first 20-some-odd verses of Leviticus, he describes all of the sexual sin that was committed by the Amorites. Okay? So if we were going to sum up in one phrase or sentence, what was the iniquity of the Amorites? It was, um, praise God, I had it written down here. It was outrageous, Sexual sins and perversion. Outrageous, okay? Outrageous sexual sins and perversion. And it was the sacrificing of their children to the false god Moloch, okay? So it was the sacrificing of of children, I'm going to say it a different way, you ready? It was the killing of babies, it was the killing of babies, and all kinds of sexual sin. They offered their children to the false god Molik, believing it would make their lives better and easier in the future. Outrageous sexual perversion and the sacrificing of their children to the false god Molik. I think some of you have already put two and two together. But I seriously doubt 58 million babies were sacrificed to the false god Moloch. But that's how many babies 
have been aborted in the name of a better life and easier future here in this nation since Roe v. Wade. 58 million. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, Can I talk to you this morning? I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When you read the first part of Leviticus 18, if you read it in the King James, the New King James Version, you're going to see the phrase used, uncovering nakedness. Uncovering nakedness. Uncovering nakedness is more than just a euphemism for sexual relations. Because Jesus explained to us that even if you do not physically commit the act, if you uncover the nakedness in your mind or on a computer screen, It's as if you have committed the physical act. Jesus said there's no difference. There's one and the same. Come on now. That's strong. I, that's not Pastor Mark saying that. That's not you know, Pentecostal holiness saying that. That's the Lord Jesus, the head of the church himself saying. So if you take what Jesus said about uncovering nakedness and you combine it with the tidal wave of pornography, internet pornography that is consumed in our country today, I believe I can make a very solid case that the generation alive on planet Earth right now is the most sexually perverse and sexually sinful generation that's ever lived on planet Earth. If every time you uncover the nakedness of someone and look at that image on your, your phone or your computer screen, if that's the same as committing adultery or fornication with that person, there, there are people who have committed hundreds of thousands of acts of fornication and adultery. And my friend, I wish I could tell you that it was just the world, but it's... It's as big an epidemic in the church as it is outside the church. I want to read Leviticus to you. I'm out of time, but I'm not out of stuff. Let's, let's do this together, right? Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Again, he gave us the list. He gave us the list before he came to this point. I'm deliberately not reading the list, okay? For the land is defiled. Now, this is really important. I want you to see this. He said the land is defiled. He didn't just say the people. 
He said, what the people have done has defiled the land. The land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Thank you, Jesus. Look at me for a moment, please. Our land is sick. Right? If I had another hour and a half to preach, I would, we'd some, at some point next Sunday, we'll get there. God says, if my people who were called by my name will turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves and pray, What will he do? He will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. What we're seeing in our nation is the result of a land that is sick. Listen to me. Some of the things that I have seen have made me physically nauseous. And here he says, listen to me now, here he says, see, we, we think the many old Israelites, they came in there and took those people's land. No. For 400 plus years, those folks sinned willfully and deliberately until they finally crossed the line and the very land they lived on couldn't stand them any longer and the land regurgitated them. The land literally vomited them out. Think about that for a minute. You say, well, how in the world can, can, can land do that, Pastor Mark? That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me other than, remember what Jesus said back to me? Remember I told you at the beginning of all this, me and the Lord have been having some conversations about all this. I said, Lord, how how can land vomit somebody? He said, the same way the rocks can cry out and praise Jesus if people hold their silence. The same way the trees of the field can clap their hands for the righteous children of God when they walk down the street. Our land is sick. Our land is sick. Singers, musicians, come on, please. I like uh, documentaries. I like to learn about things. And I recently watched a documentary on the nuclear disaster that we know of as Chernobyl. And I never really fully understood till that documentary what exactly happened there. 
But a lot of what did happen could have been prevented if the government had told the truth to the men running that nuclear power plant. In other words, there were things that they knew that were faulty, the way they were designed on the cheap. But they kept it a secret and they lied about it. And at what was supposed to be a show trial for the three men that were running the plant that night back in, was it 1985 or 86? A scientist who had already had his testimony approved went off script. And he told the truth. Much to his own punishment later. But he made a statement that I jotted down later. And he said this. He said, every time you tell a lie, you incur a debt to the truth. And one day, that debt is going to demand to be paid. And I thought, that's not just true about governments lying about nuclear power plants. That's true about my own life individually. Every time I'm not honest, I incur a debt to the truth. Every every time, every every time we veer away from, from what God has instructed us to do and how he's told us to live... We incur a debt. Now, listen, please hear me now. Please hear me. Thank God for Jesus. We'd all be lost. We'd all be doomed for a devil's hell if it wasn't for Jesus. Thank God for his mercy and grace. And we've been a participant of it. But my friend, what we do on this planet still has consequences for this planet and for the future of it. Stand with me. Praise God. Praise God. My prayer for this nation is that abortion will not only be done away with here, But that one day righteousness will prevail in this nation to the point that we will look back on abortion for the mistake that it is the way we look back on slavery for the mistake that it was. Are you hearing me? Father, thank you for these men and women that are here this morning. Father, we are thankful for this country. And I know, especially those of us that are older in here, we begin to, you know, look at the America that we were raised in, grew up in, 
and we begin to have second thoughts about what kind of nation are our children and grandchildren going to be raised up in? But Father, there is something that we can do as your people. We can turn from our wicked ways. We can repent before you, Father. We can humble ourselves and pray. And you've said that if your people will do that, that you'll heal this land. The land is sick, Father, because of our iniquity. It longs to be delivered from the bondage that it's been captured in. To be free. Pray, Father. I know it it, it almost seems overwhelming. Lord, the enemy comes with his lies and he tells us, what what can your prayer do? What can what can your repentance do what how how is just one little person trying to live up to what the bible is telling us to do in these dark times how can that change anything or make a difference? but father it can we see lord where abraham interceded for a whole nation Look at me for a moment, please. Look at me for a moment, please. There's a lot of strife in our world right now. Don't let it suck you in. Don't let it suck you in. Where there's envy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. And let me tell you where a lot of God's people are getting sucked into the strife. Facebook. Facebook. If you disagree with Donald Trump or if you disagree with Nancy Pelosi, let me tell you something. As a child of God, you do not have grounds to tear those men and women down. You are not authorized to destroy them. You've been commanded to pray for them. We're supposed to be setting the pace. We're supposed to be setting the standard. There are a lot of decisions that are made in our government that I don't agree with. There are a lot of things that are said and done that absolutely do not line up with this word right here. But this word right here tells me don't don't bash them and rip them to shreds and stir up more hate and controversy and division among people, especially God's people. This word says, pray for them. And the place where it tells us to pray for them, the saints who were alive in that day, they were being told to pray for Caesar. There's never been a Democrat or Republican, a Libertarian or an Independent in this nation that's been as vile and as wicked as Caesar. Amen. Jesus Jesus said this. He said, if you're not a part of the answer, you're a part of the problem. Father, I thank you.
that our desire is to be a part of the answer. Help us, Lord, to pray for those who have the rule over us. Help us, Father, even, we, even if we disagree with their policies, Father, to pray for them. Thank God somebody in the church prayed for a man named Saul who was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. Somebody prayed for that man and interceded for that man and he was converted and became one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father. Amen. I want us to sing this together this morning before we're dismissed. I could go on and on, but there's more time next week. Let's, let's worship the Lord for a moment. Let's just get in His presence again for a moment. It's during these times, my brother and my sister, that, he, that He'll speak to you. That He'll speak to you. I'm not trying to embarrass you this morning. I would never do that. So therefore, I'm not going to call you forward. But there are both men and women in this room tonight, this morning. You, you, you need to do what Job said he did. You need to make a covenant with your eyes that you won't put those images in front of your eyes anymore. You need to shut that off from your life once and for all this morning. So as we sing, you, you talk to the Lord about it. You, you reach out to Him about it. Ask Him to help you with it. Amen. He loves you and He's not mad at you this morning. Praise God. Let's sing it, brother.